Good morning, and we're happy to have all of you here for Bible class and also our KFUO listening audience. Today we're going to consider the lessons for a special observance next week. Uh, it's not simply a Sunday after Epiphany, but it is the baptism of Jesus. And so each year we set aside that Sunday to talk about not only Jesus' baptism, but our own baptism. And so that's what we're going to focus on uh, today in the readings. That's the theme of the readings, the baptism uh, of Jesus. So uh, our first lesson seems kind of odd for the baptism of Jesus. It's Genesis 1, 1 to 5. Now, please remember we are now in year B of the lectionary. Uh, in year A, the gospel lessons are from Matthew. In year B, they're from Mark. But because Mark is a shorter gospel, uh, there are uh, a number of supplements from the Gospel of John in the Markan year. So keep that in mind as we move through the year. So let's, let's look at Genesis 1, 1 to 5, and uh, uh, see where that takes us on the topic of baptism. Now, we all know uh, the first line, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And this is a time designation, in the beginning. You see, in order to have time, you have to have things that begin and things that end. Otherwise, there's no time. That's the way God was. He didn't begin and he didn't end and there wasn't any time until God said there was time and said the beginning. So the eternal God begins creation by creating the heavens and the earth. And we know that elsewhere in the scriptures... If we look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3, let me read that to you. And um, it says, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible, in other words, when God started, there was nothing. Not even lumps of matter, just raw matter. There was nothing. We call this ex nihilo, from nothing, creation. The creation account basically is in three parts. The creation of matter out of nothing the ordering of that creation, and then the filling of creation. So these early verses, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. 
and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now, the Spirit is specifically mentioned here, but then there's another, and we read in John, in the beginning was the Word. So when we put all that together, we realize that the Holy Trinity was active in creation. They were active. It wasn't just the Father. Sometimes we talk about the Father, creation, the Son, redemption, the Holy Spirit, sanctification. But it's not that cut and dried. Because the works of God are the works of all of God. That's why you read that the Father raised Jesus from the dead, Jesus raised himself from the dead, and the Holy Spirit raised him from the dead. It's the work of God. Okay? So God was active in creation. Now, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. Now, you got to remember, this is... There's no sun and moon yet. That won't happen until the fourth day. God was creating light in the darkness. It says that there was darkness over the face of the deep. So he was creating light in the midst of unbroken darkness. Okay? Unbroken darkness. Um, and then, and God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness, and called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening and there was morning the first day. What in the world does that have to do with baptism? Well, frankly, a lot. God could have left the creation in darkness. He did not. He brought light into the darkness. It is a sign of what God is always doing. He's restoring creation. That's what he's going to do at the end of time. You know, sin came and destroyed his good creation. Sin was introduced, corruption, death. That was all brought by sin. The fact that God can create light out of darkness reminds us that he is capable of restoring light even in the midst of darkness. So as sin overtook the world, as darkness came, as we are born into the, the uh, world, 
with sinful hearts, dark hearts, God is capable by what? His word to bring light. And he did it at creation, and he does it to us when? Baptism. There's the connection. Through God's word, light is shining into our dark hearts. So that this passage is pointing us to what happens in our baptism. And Jesus Christ is the embodiment of the light of God. God's activity creates faith and sustains faith. So we could not have the light without his work, without the work of Jesus Christ, without the work of the Holy Spirit working in us, and we could not be sustained in that faith without the continual working of the Holy Spirit in baptism and the Lord's Supper and through the Word of God. So the key here is the Word. By God's Word, light came into the midst of darkness. And that's not just creation, that's salvation. When he, by his word, the word made flesh, who dwelt among us, brings light into our hearts. It's the same as by his word he brought light into the midst of a dark creation. So, the first thing we realize is, and we don't pay much attention. You know, we come to church and we look and say, oh, there's a baptism. That service is going to be longer. That's our first. Don't tell me you don't think that way. <clears throat> service is going to be long. We got this baptism. Okay. But the fact is, Every baptism is a spiritual miracle. God is taking a human being who is dead in trespasses and sins, who is dead spiritually, who is going to die eternally, and changing it to life. In that moment of baptism, that child goes from being in the dominion of darkness to the dominion of light, from a member of the Satan's kingdom to God's kingdom. Listen to the mystery of how baptism works. Do you not know that all of us 
who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. Okay? Jesus Christ died on the cross of Calvary. By baptism, we participate in that death. Individually and corporately. That's ultimately what leads us to the discussion that we are all members of the body of Christ. We are born again. And it... Uh, there is the implication here that we all came from the same womb, baptism. So we become partakers of what Jesus Christ did. Therefore, the sin in us dies. Just as Christ carried the sins of the world on himself... And when he died, your sin died with him. And by baptism, you participate in that death, and your sin is dead. Well, Luther used the term drowned and dies, okay, in your baptism. Do you not know? that that's what happened. Then verse 4, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death. Buried too. In other words, sin died and was buried in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Okay? And there are two things that are antithetical here. In the first verse, it's continue in sin. And in verse 4, it's walk in newness of life. Those two are contrasted. So that your sin has died... When you were baptized, you were baptized into Christ, into his death. And then you were also baptized into his resurrection so you can walk in the newness of life. Now, notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say... Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might go to heaven someday. Doesn't say that. Walk in the newness of life now. We're not just talking about something far into the future. We're talking about now. We like to focus on the future and, well, it's, you know... 
It's a natural tendency. Jesus died for us, so we get to go to heaven. But boy, we're in a mess now. Okay? God's saying salvation has already come. Now, it's not fulfilled, but it has already come. Uh, when Lazarus died and Jesus came and Martha was there and said, if you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Where were you? Okay. And then she confesses her faith. If you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Past. I know that he will rise again. Future. What does Jesus say? I am now. Martha was focused on the past and the future. Jesus says, I am now the resurrection of the life. Okay? So we have a tendency not to think of now. All right? Baptism is the channel that makes us sharers in Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. Now, what does it mean to be dead to sin? Uh, I'm going to read you a quote from the church father, Chrysostom. Being dead to sin means not obeying it anymore. Baptism has made us dead to sin once and for all. But we must strive to maintain this state of affairs so that however many commands sin may give us, we no longer obey it, but, removed un, but remain unmoved by it as a corpse does. Can a corpse do anything? No. So what Chrysostom is saying is this. When it comes to sin, act like a corpse. Don't do what sin says. Just play dead. Okay? Play dead. That's what it means to be dead to sin. So let's go on here. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We've talked about. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Enslaved to sin means you always do what sin wants you to do. Always do what sin wants you to do. Now, what's being explained here, folks, is not that you're now supposed to be perfect. We don't teach perfectionism that you get better and better as things 
as you progress in life. You become more sanctified and you get better and better because what happens to you? There's a sin that plagues you and you finally overcome that one and what else shows up? Another one. And it plagues you. You're not going to ever outlive the title you have, sinner. You are always going to be in this world 100% sinner. But you are also 100% saint. And that's where the war began. And you see, Paul explains this. He starts with baptism. He started with justification in chapter 4 and 5. In 6, baptism. By the time he gets to 7, it's the struggle that the Christian experiences. The good that I would, I do not. Okay, But the evil that I would not, that's what I do. Okay, trying to explain what's going on. So what this is saying is in baptism, we're not enslaved to sin. We don't have to do it. Now, sometimes we're going to fall into it because we are weak. We do not have the strength we need. We won't until heaven. But the battle is engaged now. See, used to, you do something wrong, it wouldn't bother you. Now you say to yourself, no, not, not supposed to do that. Next time that comes up, I, I've got I've to I fight this. That's the Holy Spirit working in you through your baptism. And sometimes God will give you the victory. And sometimes your old sinful nature would, will, will win out because you want to do it deep down inside. That old sinful nature, you want to. You don't want to admit that. None of us do. But that's part of us. The old sinful nature says, do it. It's okay. One time, you know, it doesn't matter. And the, the Holy Spirit says, don't do it. Okay? It's a battle all the time. It's going to be a battle throughout this life. But what this is telling us uh, is we don't always serve sin. See, that's the way we used to be. We always served it. There was no way out. We always served it, okay? All right. For one who has died has been set free from sin, okay? Death frees us from sin. That's why when you die and go to heaven, sin's left behind. But that's already happened to you through baptism, mm-hmm. 
Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. Now, here's the summary. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. There it is. No matter how bad you feel, no matter how bad a job you think you're doing being a Christian, no matter what you've done, no matter how it looks different, you are dead to sin and alive to God. You say, that, that, that's, that's not even reality. That's what God says. So that's when Luther was pressured to, why are you know you were saved? He said, I am baptized. That means I'm dead to sin and alive in Christ. No matter what it looks like, no matter what the world observes, no matter what the world thinks, this is God's word. This is reality. Not what the world thinks is reality. Okay? The world thinks you're a sinful human being just like everybody else, and you are. But, the divine but, you are dead to sin and alive to God, and they can't see it, but God is working it in you. That's his promise in baptism. Okay. All right. Questions, comments on that one? Yeah, Annette. That is Christ. Um, the question was, when we pray, renew a right spirit within me, what we are praying is, how does it begin? Okay, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew okay, a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. In spite of the fact I've sinned, may your Holy Spirit renew me and keep me as your child, by the power of the Spirit. Okay? Yeah, Don. No, baptism did exist. There are cases where Gentiles are baptized to become Jews. Baptism was a rite of passage we don't know what the words were or what it was, but baptism was not a new concept. Okay? Yes? Okay, the question is, other denominations that don't believe this, are they alive in Christ 
Well, if they were baptized, yes. They were baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is working in them whether they know it or not, whether they acknowledge it or not. The Holy Spirit is trying to work in them faith and a sanctified life. Yes, because the emphasis in some denominations is on the person. You, we believe that a child, it is God's grace that comes to the child. We believe his baptism is God coming to us, not us coming to God. Those that believe that it's us coming to God, making the decision, then naturally they do it older because they want to make sure they're old enough to know. There is no better definition of grace, undeserved love. You can't do anything to earn anything than a baby being baptized. Perfect. We baptize babies because we believe that God's grace is at the heart of this. And by the way, most of Christendom does, okay? Most of Christendom does, okay? All right, anything else? All right, let's move on. We're... All right, the thing that we got to realize when we get to Mark is there had been no prophetic, prophetic voice in Israel for 300 years. Malachi prophesied. And then it went silent. There had been no prophetic voice. And suddenly John appears. This is a huge moment in history that God has decided to restore his creation. In fact, one of the last prophecies Malachi made in Malachi chapter 4 is, I will send you Elijah. Where did Elijah live? In the wilderness. Drank water from a stream and ate roadkill brought to him by ravens. Where's John live? Wilderness. Camel's hair. Wild honey. It's described for us here. God is acting out in human history his final restoration. He was in the wilderness proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, 
the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Not even a Hebrew slave had to unloose the sandals of his master. So for John to say, I'm not even worthy to undo his sandals is saying a lot. A lot. All right, now, the baptism of Jesus, so let's get there. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And he came up out of the water. Immediately, he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. Now, several things. The wilderness, what happened in the wilderness to the children of Israel? Judgment. Judgment. They sent the spies to spy out the promised land. Ten of them came back and said, we can't do this. Only Joshua and Caleb said, we can. So God declared, you will stay in the wilderness 40 years until the death of this generation. Judgment. John represents the voice of judgment. But then he brings the voice of grace. And what is the voice of grace? Baptism. Baptism. Now, if you read this real carefully, and you look at also Matthew and Luke, you have to ask yourself this question. Who's the he that saw the heavens torn open and heard the voice? Many, many believe, even looking at Matthew and Luke, that only Jesus, only Jesus saw the heavens torn open and the dove come down and heard the voice, not even John. Okay? And you can read it that way. You can read it that way, you see? Baptized by John. And when he, Jesus, came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. That only Jesus saw and heard. To everybody else, he just looked like a regular guy. 
And that makes sense. I'm sure the story would have gotten out if all Jerusalem and Judea were coming down to be baptized and they tell about a guy that came to be baptized and the heavens were torn open and a dove came down and they heard this magnificent booming voice, you are my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. You think they'd have told that story? It's not told. From the start, Jesus looks like a regular guy. And John knew, but as far as the heavens being opened and hearing the voice, it may have only been Jesus. And at the most, Jesus and John, but not the rest of the crowd. Not the rest of the crowd. They were in spiritual darkness. Now, it says the spirit descending like a dove. This fulfills prophecies. Isaiah chapter 11, 2, And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Okay? Isaiah 61, 1. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Spirit of the Lord is upon me. The Spirit without measure is upon Jesus Christ to do the work that he was sent to do. The baptism of Jesus, then, is a baptism for us. Now, John's baptism and Jesus' baptism are not the same. We know this from a chapter in Acts chapter 19, where uh, Paul comes upon those who had been baptized in John's baptism, and they rebaptize them because they'd never heard of the Holy Spirit. Jesus' baptism, the way is your baptism. When you were baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit with water, number one, the Holy Spirit came to you. Holy Spirit doesn't just fall on you walking out of Macy's, okay? He comes to you through word and sacrament. So when you were baptized, the Holy Spirit came to you. That Holy Spirit work faith in you in the Lord Jesus Christ. That Holy Spirit forgave you all your sins for Christ's sake. And because you have been baptized into Christ, you became a member of the body of Christ, 
which is why we read the welcome at the close of each of our baptisms. Welcome to the Lord's family. Okay? All of that happened the moment you were baptized. Your baptism works. It does not wear off. You can reject it, but it always works. And it works daily. It's not a one-time action. It is daily. That daily you die to sin... And daily, you rise to new life in Christ. Daily. It's constantly working. You rise to Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ, you rise. As we always say, The old Adam, that old sinful self, has been drowned in baptism, but boy, is he a good swimmer. So we got to drown him every day. Every day. And you rise to new life. Every time you confess your sins, the old sinful nature is being drowned and died, die, and the new, you come forth ready to walk in the newness of life, okay? Ready to walk in the newness of life. So your baptism is not just once. A long time ago, it is still working in you to this day. It's one of the reasons why you're here. as the Spirit's working in you to bring you to hear God's Word and study God's Word. So baptism, that's why we always set aside a Sunday to talk about baptism because it's so important. So important. All right, questions, comments? And by the way, we don't rebaptize people. If they were baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit with water, we do not rebaptize. Because rebaptism places the emphasis on the person. Well, I, I, I don't know how I felt that day. Doesn't depend on your feelings, it depends on the Word of God. To rebaptize a person says God screwed it up the first time. We don't say that. God did it right because he came to that person through the water and the word and worked in them. No matter what they felt, I kind of like it when babies cry. I like to say at the end, you've heard me say this, well, at least we got the devil out of them. Okay? So we don't rebaptize people that have been just because they feel a need. 
to be baptized again because uh, it teaches all the wrong things. Yes. I do not know. The question is, uh, do those who uh, believe in an age of accountability rebaptize? I think they do. Because you can say, well, I didn't feel right the first time. Again, it's based on the person. And it's not God, it's not us coming to God, it's God coming to us, okay, with His grace. That's the thing to always remember about baptism. It's not us coming to God, it's God coming to us. Other questions? Yes. Forgave sins. Yeah. They confessed their, their sins. Uh, it was a way of preparing the way for the Lord. Spiritual preparation. Okay. But nowhere does it say you receive the Holy Spirit through John's baptism. That was told Jesus. But we know that the Holy Spirit has to work to encourage you to forgive sins, but they didn't know why their sins were forgiven. Only when Christ came would they realize that there was a Savior. Yes? I do not know that. The question is, are there present and future sins, were they forgiven? I do not know. I wouldn't conjecture on that, okay? But that's certainly true with uh, the baptism that Christ instituted. It's all sin. Well, you've got to have faith to have the Holy Spirit. And the way they get it is through the Word. So hearing the Word... Uh, God promises that through the Word, the Holy Spirit comes to us seeking to work faith in us. Not really, no. In fact, you know, they were Jewish and they had the concept, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The concept of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they didn't have. They didn't have. In fact, that's why they fought Jesus so much was because they thought this was a division of God. How can you say you're God too? And that he's the father and you're the son. No, the Jews didn't like that at all. All right, anything else? So, next week come... We will celebrate the baptism of Jesus. Let's close. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.